Hello, and welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Lindsay Baroker, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Joe Lalo. And I'm Andrea Pearson. And we've been talking a lot about selling on Amazon lately, as a... Amazon is very popular and everybody wants to know how to score on Amazon. But um, today we're going to be talking about the other bookstores, you know, things you can do to kind of work those book launches and promos to be more effective in uh, stores like Google Play, Kobo, um, briefly Barnes and Noble. We don't have as many notes on them. And um, a couple more just down in our notes. But we are going to, you know, do this whether this is improved sales as a wide or non-exclusive author who doesn't have the advantage of also being in Kindle Unlimited or the KDP Select promo opportunities. So this should work kind of across the board in all the stores. Should help on Amazon too, a lot of this stuff. But um, yeah, a lot of people want to know how <laughs> people who are not wishing to be exclusive want to know how to sell more books on the other stores. So um, with luck, we'll, we might one day find a guest for you that's actually, every now and then I hear of somebody doing like 40000 a month on Apple. Um, I'm not doing quite that well, but I, I do make six figures uh, on the other stores. When you take away Amazon, I'm still there on the other stores. So, um, And Joe and Andrea have lots of good tips too. So before we jump into that, do you guys have any news or uh, points of interest that you would like to share for the listeners? Sure. Um, right now, news-wise, I, uh, I spent the last couple of weeks, I was just saying before we started recording that I'm going to be away next week, although you're not going to miss an episode because we're planning um but i am trying to put off writing the starting the writing of big sigma six which will be the, the final book six of the year because i don't want to have a one week gap where i start writing and don't so this week has been little stuff i've been re rereading things i added a bunch of short stories to my patreon pipeline so that i no longer have to worry about that for the next couple of months uh, Free Wrench 6 is waiting for its edit. I have it scheduled, I think, the middle of next month. So there's still some more beta reading time, but that's pretty much pending word from my illustrator for a cover. I'm probably going to be setting up a pre-order date for it soon, and it will be certainly before the end of the summer. It will probably be releasing in August or like beginning or end of August. Um, Big Sigma 6 is fully plotted, and it's a doozy. I hope I can get it under the... 150,000 words or so. I'm shooting for 100. So 150,000 should be comfortably beyond my usual overshot. Um, and also, since we're talking about points of interest, I mentioned this earlier too. When we were talking to David Gogren, we talked about sometimes you have difficulty finding out what um, categories your books are in, and he gave some options that you can use to determine that. Uh, it turns out if you have Publisher Rocket, formerly P KDP Rocket, then uh, the next update is going to include categories. So that's a nice little bonus for folks that already are using that tool like me. That's it. Yeah, that's awesome. I love Publisher Rocket. So I was excited about that. Um, so I'm deep in edits for Sableheart. Uh, it's book five in my Midnight Chronicle series. And it's been so much fun to get back in. It's kind of like, I don't know, being around a best friend that you haven't seen in a long time. It's just that, that feeling like I'm creating again. And I really, really missed working on um, books. Um, and um, I wanted to give an update on MailJet just quickly. Um, for those of you who have been kind of following, I know a couple of people have been thinking about switching and they wanted to see how things go with me long-term for them. Um, something that I've found that I really like about them is 
uh, is they have a section where in your emails you can pin basically you, it's like a click and drag system. You, you say, I want to, I want to create this section and I want to save it for future use. And then when you change that in any other place, it'll change it all the way across the board. And so this is really great for like, if you have a, I have a spot on, on all my emails that says, um, if you'd like to subscribe, click here. Um, alternatively, you can follow me on BookBub and on Amazon. And I don't change that very often, but when I do, I don't want to have to go and track that down in every single automation email and every single um, template and everything. So if you change that in one spot, it updates it everywhere. You can make it so it doesn't. But um, And then it's also really good if you have footers. Um, like I keep my book covers in my footers. And then, <clears throat> so if you ever change a book cover or if you ever change something with that, then you just change it in one spot and it changes it everywhere. And so for those of you who use automation sequences, and I typically have probably five to five or six sometimes going, if I'm in full blown author marketing, not paying attention to my kids, well, paying attention to my kids, but not having health problems with my kids, I'll usually have around eight going at, at once. And so having that change in every single automation email and every single automation sequence is really, really nice. So yeah, so that's something I've been finding that I really like about it. Um, and that's pretty much it for me. That definitely sounds useful. Even just with um, the welcome, you know, the automatic welcome email, like I have on my sci-fi list, I list the books at the bottom because the sci-fi isn't so extensive. I'm like, Hey, and if you want to check out my other books, here's this. And I realized like last month I went in, I was like, Oh, it's been a long time since I've updated that list. So I went in and tweaked it. But yeah, if you were someone that had that at the bottom of every you know, if you send out an auto responded with or a sequence of like eight emails or something with your books listed, it might be nice to change that all in one place. All right. Um, so I just grabbed, there was a written word media did a survey of their subscribers a few weeks ago, and it was called how readers pick what to read next. And I'll, I'll share the link to the survey in the show notes. If you want to check it out, it, you know, it was probably nothing too surprising, but I just grabbed a couple of tidbit, tidbits to share. Um, one of the things that the reader said was the book's description and book cover are the most important factors for readers when deciding on a purchase. The order was book description one, cover two, reviews three. I actually thought it would be cover first, to be honest. I feel like that. <laughs> I've sold a lot of books to people who didn't read the description. I get the feeling from emails later. Um, so, you know, just emphasizing the importance of those things. They also said that if given an opportunity to learn more about authors, our audience agreed that they would most like to know the author's inside scoop on characters and storylines from their book. And that's something I sometimes do, often like in a last book in a series, I'll, I'll do some kind of author notes and, or in, I've occasionally done like a Q&A and solicited questions from Facebook's you know, readers to, to put in the back of the book. Uh, do you guys do that? I, it seems like something I should maybe do more often because it if people want it, you know, why not provide it? I have, uh, I have taken questions like that. I don't often include them in the book itself. I include, it's always ancillary, like social media material or blog stuff, but people are very frequently interested, uh, especially they'll, there will be a couple of favorite characters that I really find that people want to know about, or like they'll want to know what the inspiration was for a setting or, or a storyline. I actually tried to set up for a character interview recently and didn't get a lot of re uh, responses because my Facebook, page has been kind of dead so the engagement I'd, I'd have to basically boost the post so people would know that i'm asking 
I've got a section in all my newsletters where I say, if you have any questions for Andrea, put them here and see them answered in this place in a future email. And um, again, back before everything kind of fell apart about once every month and a half, once every two months, I would, in that section, I would answer like three to five questions. And then sometimes I'll do like Facebook live videos, which I also upload on YouTube. And I'll also put those videos in that section, my email, just answering the random questions that the weird questions that readers have. I don't know. You guys probably get really weird questions sometimes. <laughs> right. I think this is specifically saying they, they want this stuff in the actual book, like at the end. Um, and I've done this before. One thing I have to be careful with is like dated things that become dated though. Cause I remember doing like, answering questions and I'd written like five books in a series that went on to have eight and a spinoff novel and a spinoff series. So I, you know, it's just realizing that you have to update this later or just accept that you published it five years ago and it's going to be out of date for anybody reading the book currently. Or, you, you know, I think if I do start doing it again, I'll just make sure I'm not answering questions that might change as I continue on in the series. Um, and then the last thing I picked out was they said uh, over 30% of their readers read six to 10 books per month and spent up to $15 per month purchasing books. So that was just good to think about, you know, 30% is a pretty good portion of people that are reading or, you know, buying several books a month. Um, you know, that's just their readership written word media. So, you know, who knows how uh, indicative, indic indicative, indicative that is of the readership as a whole, but it is good to realize that people are, you know, still, you know, still spending. That's a decent amount, especially if they're buying indie books. Um, not everybody's just in Kindle Unlimited, or you know, there are people out there buying books. I, I've certainly seen this year. Um, I've had actually a higher percentage of sale, you know, in, income coming from sales versus KU this year. That could just because I don't have the, the box sets aren't killing it right now. Um, I got, retired a couple of those and published it wide, but all right, let's get into our major topic here. And just to list the source, since I think I forgot one earlier that we're mostly going to be talking about is Apple books. Uh, Barnes and Noble, Kobo, and Google Play. Of course, anything we talk about applies to Amazon for the most part too, except we will talk at the end about specific stores. We have a few tips. Um, and also if you use a distributor to get into a lot of sort of smaller stores that don't have uh, uploading, you know, we can't go direct with them. And that could be Smashwords, Draft2Digital, or Publish Driver, or the main distributors out there. So... We have a long list that we all brainstormed and put together of sort of like what works to get sales in the other stores besides just Amazon. So we're going to kind of just read through it and pause a little bit here and there to discuss things. Um, I started out, so I will be reading for a little bit before handing it over to Andrea and Joe. But the first thing that's really worked well for me, and we've talked about this before, but having a perma-free book one in a series and doing kind of inexpensive promos periodically for that book one. And these might be like free book C. If you can get BookBub, that's always great. That's a tough one to get. Uh, or even boosting posts or social media stuff to your platform. I found that my uh, social media followers, also known as my readers <laughs> who happen to be on social media, are generally really enthusiastic about sharing and uh posts about free books, you know, like they may not be like, Oh, I don't get 80 shares on a $5 new release, but if it's something's free and they want their friends to check it out too, you know, I'll even see them like tagging, like, Hey, here's the series I told you about. And so that's, 
it's easy to get easier, I should say, to get word of mouth on when you're doing free on something. And it's just, we'll talk a little bit more about how search works in some of those stores, but free is still very effective um, on Google Play, Kobo, I think Barnes & Noble too. Uh, you, you usually have to do some promotions though. It's like just having it free is probably not as effective as it used to be. Um, what do you guys think? I know Joe also has a several free book ones and I'm not sure if you do now, Andrea, or if you're mostly in KU. Um, I'm mostly in KU now just to simplify, um, my life, but, uh, I do have one box set that is perma-free still and it's on my Kalenia Chronicles, which is historically not a good seller for me, but having that first three books free has led to the last three books doing really, really well, much better than they ever did when the books weren't free. Yeah, I, uh, my, I would, I would say it's, it's fair to say that most of my promotional, uh, effort, uh, just is coming from the fact I've got three free book free, uh, book ones free. Uh, and also, as mentioned in there, the, the promotion for free books is cheaper than for paid books. So that's the thing that I think a lot of people overlook is even on, you know, BookBub, a BookBub ad for a free book is way cheaper than for a, a paid book. So when you have your, your firm of fees, it also sort of opens up your opportunity to do more promotion just because the price tag is lower. Well, say it used to be way cheaper on BookBub for a free book, but a year or two ago, they kind of doubled the price. <laughs> it was like 200 something in sci-fi fantasy, and it went up, like, I think it's 500 something now, which is probably still less than the 99 cent ones. But yeah, that is true on, on some of the, the platforms. And I, I should say, I say perma-free book one, but it's not like you can just be free for a few months. You don't have to commit to it. It's always free. I have some that are always free that are kind of old series because they're also on places like Wattpad and Script that I put up back in the day and it would be a pain to uh, yank them down everywhere. But um, I also have some that I just make free for a time, you know, so I can run a promo and then I put it back up to, you know, two ninety nine or four ninety nine, just so that I can kind of price pulse. And it's, I don't know. So you seem to get more easily get more traction when uh, something's going from paid to free as far as the promos go. Um, another thing that you can do to get the sales on the other stores is run, especially BookBub, the pay-per-click ads um, allow you to, you can basically put them, you know, you can put like India, Amazon, you can put Apple, US, Kobo, Canada, you know, you just put a link in and, you know, it usually accepts it. Um, same with Facebook ads, you can tailor the link specifically to like only for Canadian Facebook watchers, viewers, whatever they are, and the Kobo store. Or um, I've done more to Apple because it's pretty easy to target iOS uh, people that are using Mac products, uh, Apple products in order to um, do things. So you automatically know, know that they have a better shot of being Apple store fans. Although <laughs> as I've admitted before, I have all the Mac stuff and I still shop at the Amazon store. But what do you guys um, do you guys do any of this? And I think, Andrea, we talked offline and you thought it was actually more expensive to promote to the other stores was your experience, at least as far as Facebook. Yeah, Facebook ads, um, BookBub ads have been cheaper to advertise for us to like other stores than on, but, but like Facebook ads for me. Um, and, um, just from what I've been hearing from other people, because they don't get seen as much, they've been more expensive to get clicks on. Um, like back when I used to, um, you know, the box sets when everybody was doing those running for USA Today. And I mean, that was the general consensus was that it would be like a dollar fifty per click, but that people were more likely to buy when they saw the ads than Amazon people. But that's kind of true. A lot of the cases, in a lot of the cases, other retailer um, buyers are more likely to buy when they see ads than 
than um, Amazon buyers. They're also yeah. more likely to read. Sorry, Joe. <laughs> it's true uh, because they're not just hoarding the, the the cheap stuff as tends to happen. I just bought a, a, a game bundle that had 1,700 games in it, so I'm probably not going to play most of those. But um, yeah, I, I BookBub, uh, I have often targeted other stuff and I found it to be really effective and relatively cheap. It, it, like BookBub is one of those where you really have to uh, f- fine tune your, your image and you're targeting. But once you do, you can have pretty good success everywhere for pretty low cost. I have never actually targeted Facebook ad at anything but Amazon because I did not, I still have not included Facebook ads as like an ongoing thing. It's usually a, a temporary promo thing. And my temporary promos are almost always targeted toward Amazon right now. I would say, I'm not sure I've noticed that I spend more per click um, doing stuff to other I've done, like I said, Cobalt Canada and Apple in the U.S., and I've done some U.K. stuff. Um, I don't know. It may just be, who knows, you know, based on your genre. I also, I, I find quite a variety just doing U- U.S.-based stuff to Amazon. <laughs> like, it can be same book, different ad. This one wants 38 cents a click. You know, this one's 12 cents a click. So it can be a challenge to, um, unless you do a ton of it, to really see. But that's something you can experiment with. Um, another thing you can do is share free bonuses related to, you know, like using the same characters from this, your series. We've talked about doing like prequel novellas or short stories and uh, making them free. And not just, you know, a lot of people go straight to, I'm going to put this on book funnel and it's going to be, you have to sign up with an email address. But if you think about it, having your free stories in the stores where people are actually shopping, you're probably looking at thousands of downloads versus, you know, 500 that maybe you get doing a newsletter promo group thing and, and just making people give an email address for a short story. If you take away making them do anything, <laughs> they might be more likely to try it. And that's certainly, that was like one of the first things I did was having a short story t- that tied into my Emperor's Edge series. And, you know, I got a pretty cool cover for it considering at the time I was on quite the budget and it worked really well to just, you know, it was sort of a fun uh, standalone adventure. And then at the end I said, Hey, do you want to know how these two characters first met? Please check out book one in the Emperor's Edge series. And at that time the novel was two ninety nine or something. And the, obviously the free short story was free. Um, is that something that you guys are doing? And um, I mentioned Wattpad too. There's all kinds of places you can share these stuff, these things, but I do think having them in the actual bookstores for free, is probably going to be, where you're going to get the most readers and uh, willing to go on and buy from that store. Um, I've, I've used Wattpad extensively. I've had a lot of success there. Not recently. It's been a few years, but I had, um, they featured me quite regularly. They did a huge launch party for me for one of my books. Um, it was really awesome. Uh, and I still have readers uh, who found me through that that are very, you know, very friendly, whatever the word they know me, I know them, all that stuff. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I, I love that idea of putting like my short stories up for free. A lot of them I use in that exclusive box set and then I use others as download bonuses, but I've got so many and I'm a lot, after you've been doing this for a while, you're going to just accumulate a whole bunch of stuff that people won't buy because it's not a, a main book or something. I, I love that idea of having them be permafreeze. I have had stuff that was uh, similarly. I've had Wattpad releases that are still on Wattpad um, that aren't free anywhere but Wattpad, and that has oddly enough has not bit me yet. Um, but I also oddly I have a uh, I have a, a short story that is an audiobook that is free. The audiobook publisher recommended 
I give that a try. I actually don't know how well that's doing because I get very, you know, it's traditionally published. So my, my, uh, statistics aren't real time on that, but, uh, it's clearly been effective because they continue buying my books. So <laughs> I'm not losing them money. And I also, and I'm probably going to be doing this later this year, probably in between the releases of the next two books. Uh, I have taken a lot of my short stories that are either outside of the main series. I, well, I have, I have two uh, anthologies of short stories, one of the which are spinoffs and stuff from my big series, and the others are not related to my big series. I think they're probably both going to spend some time perma-free just to sort of uh, you know, attract people in that way for this exactly purpose. You would think that some of this stuff, too, would only be for diehard fans. Like, I have this series that was uh, four scenes of a, basically how the main character proposed to the main female character. And this was after, like, seven books in the series. And I had it on my website. And somebody said, hey, can you put this in an ebook uh, so they could keep it? You know, I was like, okay, I did. And I decided to go ahead and put it on Amazon just so everybody could find it that wanted it. And I actually had somebody email me and said they found that first, which is weird because it's this goofy, like, the foul proposal proposal the foul proposal f-o-w-l because it's there's ducks uh, naturally in high fantasy duck proposals are big but anyway they actually found it and read that first and i was like this could not be entertaining to anybody who doesn't know these characters but they're like no i went back and got the first book and read the whole series and really liked it so you never know the more stuff you have out there with like zero cost you know it, it people will try it um, so another thing you can do on the other stores that actually you sh probably shouldn't do on Amazon right now is put together big bundles, like a, an entire series bundle or something that's above $9.99. And we say don't do it on Amazon because if you go above $9.99, you get dropped from 70% royalty back down to 35%. But on most of the other stores, they're fine giving you the 75%. Uh, both Apple and Kobo for sure do that. I, I need to double check on Barnes & Noble. Um but I am about to do this for the first time. I, people have been doing it for years. I finally put together my whole Dragon Blood series. I think it's eight, nine novels. There's like a side novel and a side novella in there. And it's a good way to get everybody to read everything. Whereas, cause sometimes those side novels and stuff, you know, people might miss them because it like, especially on Amazon, can't put it on the series page if it doesn't have a number. Uh, and some of the other stores don't really have series pages yet. And then you're stuck doing like, this was novella 5.5. But um, anyway, so I'm going to put it out, I think, for $24.99. I'm probably just going to put it on the stores to give you the 70% and just, sorry, Amazon just not going to get this because I don't want to make it the same price but only get 35% royalty that I'd rather buy the, have them buy individual books. Is this something you guys have tried at all? I have not uh, yet. Uh, once I get done with all of these book sixes, which are all at least ostensibly supposed to be the end of the series, or at least the end of the arc, that's three opportunities to do so, particularly with the Book of Deacon. I can put together a monster for the Book of Deacon if I include all the spinoff stuff. So it's certainly on my list for maybes in the future. Um, I've done a bunch of different, like, like, you know, I did a... The Mosaic Chronicles is 10 books, and I and I did that plus... Okay, so... The last half of Mosaic Chronicles combines the two main characters from two series into one. And so what I did was I took all of those books, every single one of the books in that whole series, both series, and I put them in and ended up being about 12 books because the Mosaic Chronicles was not finished at that point. And I put it all together. I charged like 25 something on other websites. Kobo ended up promoting it. And that was really, really good, great. Um, and then 
a few months later, I put it back up again, but I put it on Amazon and I put it up for like $4.99. And that was one of my biggest months ever. Um, people, even if they've bought like half those books, it's still a huge deal. You know, it's still a huge uh, bonus for them. And so they'll just go and buy the rest of them. But like Lindsay said, you don't, I mean, yeah, it's just the 70%. You have to charge a whole lot to make up for that drop from 70% to 35%. So, but it's really, really good. And the other stores love that kind of thing. You know, if you've got a whole bunch of books and you discount them to like $15.99 or something like that, that's something that, especially Kobo, because I've worked with them extensively, that's something that they really love promoting for authors. Right. I've definitely noticed that a lot of their promotions, they want something that's like discounted down and is under $5. And if your top book is only $5 to start with, they might not be that interested. But if they're going from $24.99, you know, down to $4.99 or even $9.99. And I've definitely found that on those other stores, like I have some $9.99 box sets and they sell really well. You would think, you know, people don't want to spend that much, but if it's a bunch of books and you can't get them discounted otherwise, um, you know, and it doesn't have to be a huge discount if they get a couple dollars off. And then you're getting somebody who might not have finished the series otherwise, or they might not have picked up all those side books. So I always think it's get that money up front. That's a good thing. <laughs> uh, another thing you should make sure to do when you're wide is to link to, link to, um, all of the main stores um, on your website and social medias and stuff. You can use something like books to read or another universal link. If you don't want to like list 10 links, I say, if it's on your website, you might as well just list them in a mailing list situation. It may be different because the more links you have, you might be more likely to be considered spam or <laughs> get flagged for something. Um, but I have to remind this to my, myself now because it was never a problem when I was just releasing everything wide. But when I started you know, having stuff exclusive to Amazon, of course, I can only really link to Amazon. Although you can set up a books to read link. And sometimes I do this, even if it's just, it's just the Amazon link. And later you can just go fill in that link, at, you know, the other links for the stores on books to read. And then, you know, you don't have to go back and update your website and uh, back a book and things like that. So uh, I assume you guys do that. You're probably, if you're wide, you're linking to all the stores and not, you know, Google play kind of came on later. So I know I have old stuff out there that doesn't link to them <laughs> before I think 2015. I don't even think I, yeah, I wasn't selling books that I couldn't get in. Yeah. I, uh, I, I link uh, nowadays with universal book links and I used to, a friend of mine is a web developer and he put together this, this uh, book, thing for WordPress, which I would just fill in all the links and it would show up at the bottom. I don't use that so much now that I have universal links, but I've always been pretty careful to at least put the, my, my, my three biggest non-Amazon things in addition to Amazon, if not all of them. Yeah. I use universal, universal links a lot, books to read, but I will usually say click here for all retailers, including, you know, iTunes, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, et cetera. Um, yeah. And I'll talk quite a bit about that once we get into my part of the list. One thing we should say is if you're doing something like Facebook ads, you might not want to do the universal link because it's going to mean two clicks or possibly even three because like with books to read, it also pops up and asks, do you want to make this your preferred store in the future? You know, if it's your first time using it and the more clicks between, you know, the potential new reader and the sale, the less likely you're going to get that sale when it's your readers already that, you know, they're going to buy your book no matter what, even if they have to go search for it on Amazon and, you know, find it themselves. Um, I wouldn't worry about them having to do an extra click. All right. One more from me here in this big list is that if you're, um, 
making your audiobooks wide, uh, which in the last couple of years, there's been more options for that, uh, especially through like find away voices. You don't have to be exclusive to Audible. I mean, you didn't have to be before, but there weren't too many other options. Um, so, you know, you can start doing when you're, if you're wide with some audiobooks, you can apply for chirp deals right now. As we record this, these are still free, uh, through BookBub and, uh, Kobo is also looking specifically for people to upload audiobooks direct to them. I actually just had an interview, you know, and chatted with the the ladies at Kobo that do the podcast over there. And they were saying, yeah, yeah, you know, we were even looking for sci-fi and fantasy books. And, and this is, the, they don't want it through Find Away Voices. They want it directly uploaded the same way you would do eBooks through um, KWL. And so I'm going to do that. I have two series in Find a Way right now. I'm just going to go uncheck them, uncheck Kobo as it is, you know, distribute to there and upload it directly. I checked out the interface. It looks so much easier than like they had a beta or something about a year ago. <laughs> I kind of looked at it and I was like, mm, I don't think I'm going to do it this way. Um, so it looks much improved now. And if you get in, you know, early 2020, 2021, it's probably going to be pretty easy to get those promos. And that can also help ebook sales if you're wide with ebooks too and have them together. All right. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Or I'll hand it off to Andrea if not. I'm going to say no. no and thoughts. <laughs> okay. Go, Andrea. Okay. So, mine, my, my thoughts all are surrounding one central idea. And so I'm going to go through them and then give the whole point and then ask Lindsay and Joe for their thoughts, if that's okay with you guys. Okay. So, so what I recommend people do is share publicly and vocally your support for other stores. So make it really obvious that your books are not available just on Amazon. So on your website, say, Hey, iTunes, you know, Barnes and Noble and, and Kobo, make sure that people know, and you can even use their logos. As far as I know, that's okay with them. I don't, you, yeah, I'm going to assume it's okay if you use their logos, but if it's not, then double check if you feel uncomfortable. <laughs> um, then when you do social media posts, tag their stores regularly, like hashtags um, or ads, you know, things like that. Uh, focus on getting reviews on the other sites. So make sure your review team reviews in every place where your book is published. Um, you can make that be a requirement to joining. What I say is they have to post in, in two different places um, and preferably three. And so what those places usually are Amazon and Goodreads, um, sorry, four. Um, BookBub now allows you to review. And then Kobo, because Kobo is very easy for people to set up um, accounts with. Um, and then I tell readers about promotions that take place in other stores. Uh, so like if something happens on iTunes and I hear about it, even if I'm not participating in it, you know, tell, oops, as I hit my mic, tell readers about that, um, Kobo, et cetera. Um, and like I said, do this, even if you're not involved in the promotion, um, and make sure you again, tag them in your posts, the social media posts, um, and then tell readers the benefits about shopping on other retailers. So retailers, so for example, Kobo, they have, um, almost always a thing going on where new accounts get a $5 credit. And I've gotten a lot of my, my main readers to, um, create Kobo accounts and shop there, uh, as well as Amazon. And that's just beneficial for everyone. And then when you're wide, have a promotion every single month, not on the same book following the above advice. So making sure that you're, um, tagging them and you're telling your readers, you know, you're directing them, like iTunes readers, here's the books here and Kobo readers, here's the books here and all of that. Um, and then as we've mentioned before, wide distribution favors frequent and smaller events. Kindle Unlimited likes big, big ones that are, you're not allowed more than once a quarter anyway. So big ones once a quarter. Um, and that's saying on the same book as an FYI, um, 
with uh, Kindle Unlimited. And then when you're wide, I usually like to cycle through my, my main books. Um, and after you've been doing the above, regularly reach out to the individual locations. Um, and I would suggest considering, I would suggest picking just one to focus on at a time for this part and ask them about promotional opportunities. When you do that, let them know basically how you've been doing on their store and what you've been doing to push readers to those specific sites. And, Tell them you're open to working with them in the future. Just say, hey, I even if you don't have any opportunities right now, I am um, open to working with you in the future. I, I am dedicated to making sure that uh, readers in your retailer or in your store are happy. Um, and what this usually does is, um, what I've noticed with my clients is it's kind of, I mean it takes a certain velocity of downloads and everything. You can't do this if you're only getting like one download a month on the other stores. I mean, you can, but it won't be as effective, but what it does is it opens the door for future merchandising options. And so, um, like Kobo has a promotions tab, but they also run promotions that are separate from that tab. And so if you are on their radar, if you're mentioning them in your house, and this is based on things that I've learned just by uh, listening to merchandisers talking and like the kinds of things that they notice from authors, they notice when authors are pushing their stores. And so if, if you're pushing their stores, you're most likely already going to be on their radar. So when you do approach them, and if you like listen around, pay attention, you'll hear people say, you know, contact Kobo at this email address, contact, you know, things like that. So, and then drop to digital and smashers. You can also reach out to them and say, Hey, can you help me get promotions with these companies or help me get my foot in the door with those companies? But the whole point about this is to make sure your business is not Amazon centered because you can actually make really, really decent money on other retailers um, apart from Amazon. I mean, Amazon will probably always be your number one, but I mean, like Lindsay was just saying, she makes six figures on the other retailers. Um, and um, Koba was one of my biggest seller, my sales for my second biggest site for a very long time because I babied them basically. And I got to know them and I, you know, I helped them out and they helped me out and things like that. So, um, so, and then also make sure you have access to the promotions tab on Kobo and submit your books frequently and regularly. And this again, puts you in the front of their mind, um, on Kobo. And, um, but this is basically how I recommend people get merchandising options. You've got to be releasing regularly. I mean, you don't actually, you can be releasing once a month or once a month, you can be releasing once a month, guys, <laughs> once a year, and you can still get merchandising options or opportunities at the other retailers, as long as you are, um, doing what you can to, uh, you know, just basically generate awareness for those stores. They want to help people who want to help them. If you're only linking to Amazon or you're only linking to the USA, then you're not going to get as much attention. But um, there's just, I don't know. It's, it's frustrating when people switch and they go wide and they do nothing. They do absolutely nothing except put their books up. And then they're like, well, my book never gained traction. Those stores do not work the way Amazon does. It's not like an algorithm where they're paying attention to which ones are gaining the most downloads. They pay attention to, um, it's people who are paying attention. So if you get attention or get the attention of the people who are doing the promotions then you'll have more luck. Um, and have you guys, I mean, what are your comments and thoughts on that? I Who's could definitely first. <laughs> okay. Joe's going okay. first. <laughs> uh, I could definitely say uh, uh, I absolutely agree with the mention that you're available on other places. There's a whole shtick that I'll do where I like it'll be like, oh, we're gonna do sales mode. My ebooks are available wherever ebooks are sold. You know, I'll do the whole the whole shebang, and and uh, I'll go into it more specifically when I add my two points on this. But uh, it's absolutely important that people know that you're wide. Uh, because there are a lot of opportunities available to white people who are, that you'll be passed over. Like if you, uh, story bundle comes along, story bundle only obviously can only be done with wide. 
And when people are curating story bundles and they don't know your why, you'll get passed over. So just even if you don't mention the individual stores, just letting the world know that you're not just available on Amazon has got a huge amount of uh, uh, value. And I could be doing a better job of this, but I like that Andrea mentioned that um, like instead of just doing a post that has all the links to all the stores and promoting that, if you happen to have something going on at Apple, let's say, like actually right now I got an opportunity to find a way voices to participate with a 99 cent audiobook, or I said, yes, I want to make it 99 cents when they said we're having a sale. So that gives me a great chance to just, just do Apple, a couple tweets, you know, here's Apple's doing this June, you know, I forget what they called it. Great, great eBooks for less or something like that sale. And mine's in there too for, and that's the only place right now it's 99 cents. So I think I tend to not be very proactive about it unless I'm invited to something, which that can be, the distributors can be helpful if you haven't yet managed to, um, you know, make a relationship with a rep at, at any of the stores. Um, they can help you earlier on. They're often looking for folks, especially audiobooks right now, since so few people are wide with audiobooks. Um, but, you know, that's like a great opportunity to just get on their radar because you're tagging them. You're right. I'm at, at Apple books on Twitter. And I don't know if that'll ever happen, but they might be more likely to be excited and retweet that or something rather than if you're just like, I'm at all of these places for 99 cents right now. And you tag everybody. I don't know about you, but if I'm on Twitter and somebody tags me with 12 other people, I feel like it's spam. You know? <laughs> I'm like, don't do that. <laughs> so just my thoughts on that is to um, work the distributors. If you're not yet selling a ton where anybody's noticed you. And also if you get a chance to go to the conferences um everything's kind of online right now but there's still a lot of these guys are having like q a with like drafted digital or um kobo was at the last one i was at so you may still get a chance to like connect and get on their email list if nothing else and they'll send you an email when they're having sort of like andrea said some promotions that are not necessarily something you can apply for just on the site all right, that is my thoughts on that. If uh, Andrea, do you have any more thoughts, or shall Joe continue on with his list? <laughs> I have zero thoughts. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, okay. I only have a few little add-ons here, uh, but uh, I'm going to double down on working direct, like working directly through individual bookstores, can give you a lot of opportunity. We're talking going instead of distributor. If you go straight to Kobo or straight to Apple, there's often a lot more opportunities for you, and a lot of people like to do this. I've never done that except for google play because as far as i know google play is not included in any other distributors uh so that being said and it's been said earlier if you do use book distributors they are your conduit not just for distributing your books but to contacting the individual marketplaces for this stuff uh with one glaring exception which i'll say in a moment every contact that i've had with an individual marketplace's promotions has been thanks to smashwords uh putting me in contact with them so uh yeah your distributors they have the email addresses of the people who make these these marketing decisions and they specifically curate lists of, of uh, recommended books so be in contact with them if you're doing that stuff uh, also if you follow the earlier advice and you end up with a contact within any of the individual stores be aware uh, of all of the promotional options that are available to you like you may be thinking well you know put me on your list whenever you're going to do a price promo let me know and i'll see if i want to be a part of it but there's other options and we'll talk about them in the in the apple uh section when i uh there's other options you might not be aware of in terms of say you know limited time exclusivity or early releases or or, or samples and i didn't I don't have this on my list but i should add this too um, if you get an international opportunity uh lots of times that feeds back into into you know it I'll just give the specific example. Uh, I was chosen as a book of the month for Apple 
It was an editorial decision back in 2012 uh, by a, a representative of Apple in New Zealand and Australia and in, in that region. But that still got me the book of the month tag and that still got me editorial review and that shows up into the iBook store. So even if it seems like it's a small opportunity, it can feed back into the larger pool and really help you out. So don't like necessarily turn things down that seem like they might be beneath you. Everything helps. Uh, so just keep in mind all of those opportunities. Right. And, and like we were talking about, I think last time with David, it doesn't matter where the money comes from. <laughs> you know, like it may be easier to get that money from some of these stores that don't have like AMS ads, Amazon ads set up for them yet, or they're just, um, Apple, we'll talk about this in a minute, but you know, they don't have the ads yet on their store. So there's no distractions if you send readers directly to your book page on Apple. Um, but let's go ahead and talk a little bit about some of the specific stores. And I want to give a big shout out to um, Ricardo at Readsy because he's been sending out, I'm on his newsletter and he's been kind of breaking down. He did one for the Google Play Store, Kobo and Apple. And I'm cribbing from his notes basically and sharing some of the juicy bits because I'm going to be honest, I don't spend a lot of time trying to figure out how the search engines work on the, on the other stores. Um, there's only so much time, you know, so it's great when somebody that likes to do that stuff and has that analytical mind uh, shares their notes. So we're just going to do a little bit of, let's do Google Play first. And uh, I'm also going to link to some articles on Readsy and um, actually he has his newsletters up uh, online. So I'm going to link to those two in the show notes for the episode. So you guys should definitely check that out for more information. But with Google Play, it's, it's, uh, it's a store unique to each reader. And I'm, I got this also from the Google, uh, the Google reps I got to talk to at 20 books last year. So they also uh, reaffirmed this or confirmed it or affirmed it. Some, some, it was firm, guys, really firm. Um, the Google Play team says that nearly all Google Play books merchandising is driven by an algorithm. And as a result, every reader sees a different personalized bookstore. So you may think when you go look for your books, they're like nowhere to be found because you're just not logged in. Because uh, if you're not an Android person, you may not be using Google Play. Um, but if you if somebody buys three of your books from Google Play and reads them to the end, and apparently they actually track that, um, then they're going to start seeing your more of your books in their recommendations. So it's, you know, it's, this is kind of true in a lot of the stores. That the more you sell, the more you're going to sell to uh, the readers that you find on those stores. Um, there's also a focus on deals on Google Play with a section, you know, a section for that when you log in. So price promos or free book ones can be featured and pushed. And there's also a section that focuses on new arrivals. Um, quoting Ricardo here, if you look at the top of the page, one of the main navigation elements you'll see is new arrivals. This gives new releases a great deal of visibility on the store. From some quick research, it seems that new books feature on this page during their first 30 days, making this very similar to Amazon's hot new releases, except it gets extra visibility. And so now I'm kind of thinking, actually having read that, that I should, when I launch a series wide, my tendency is like, just put all the books out there once because these guys have been waiting forever for the series that used to be exclusive to Amazon. But now I'm like, maybe I should trickle them all out, you know, or do the first couple and then do one every 30 days. It's a little easier just to put them all out at once, but I, I'll keep that in mind for the next series that I take wide. 
And one more thing from Ricardo on the Google Play search algorithm. Based on my own experimental research, it looks like Google places much more importance on keyword matches in title slash subtitle categories and blurb than Amazon. Inversely, it seems to place less importance on sales, which means that you can get your book ranking high for highly competitive searches, even if it's not selling super well yet. And I have to say, I think he may have talked about this at one of the conferences and I promptly went into Google Play and put like, you know, an epic fantasy adventure in the subtitle for that. That series are a dragon fantasy adventure, urban fantasy, and um, possibly also in the blurb, like threw it down at the bottom. This is the book three in an urban fantasy adventure just to see it. I don't know. I feel like three, four or five years ago, I was hearing this really work well. I'm not sure I could, you know, I couldn't, I didn't see like, I've got a big catalog over there, 60 books or something. I, I can't say that I saw any immediate boost from that, but what do you guys think? Have you played around with Google Play? Is any of this stuff ring a bell or, or, or no bells? Uh, I can tell you, uh, particularly the new release thing, I was impressed like, because I had the three uh, urban fantasies that were exclusive. Uh, I did. I had a long lapse in new releases on Google Play, and then I, you know, had this year's releases so far that all appeared there. And I had a bigger release bump on Google Play than most other places, and it lasted longer. And I did zero promotion directly to Google Play, so I think that uh, new release thing has got a lot of uh, validity to it. And I created my account before Google Play kind of you know, went up and down and up and down in account creations. And, uh, and it was also before they let you really have a lot of control over pricing. And so the only books I ever published there were um, box sets. And so I didn't have very much experience getting, you know, I didn't even know they had any of these things. So... <laughs> Right. And it, you know, it might not hurt to go in and do like throw the keywords in to your title. It just sounded like from his email that even though Google, the search engine is super sophisticated on search and it's really hard to game that Google Play Store may not be quite so sophisticated uh, yet. And I, you know, these guys have come on strong for me these last couple of years as far as earnings. They're usually, sometimes they're my number two. Um, Barnes & Noble had that slot for a long time. And this is even, you guys know, I tend to release new series now exclusive to Amazon. And so sometimes it will be a year between releasing anything on the other stores. And I'm still like through having free book ones and occasionally running promos on that stuff. I'm able to keep my earnings up on those stores, maybe more consistently, I would say than on Amazon. It seems like you really got to work it on Amazon or things start dropping off pretty quickly. So it, you know, I think it's worth it. It's not necessarily a lot of effort to do some of the things we're talking about. Question. Do you know if they're even open for new accounts right now? They should be. We, t I mean, we mentioned it in an earlier show that they've kind of um, streamlined it. It's supposed to be a simpler process now to okay. get accepted and get in there. And also that, and I think I don't want to take Joe's thing. Go, Joe, go ahead, Joe, because I was about to um, spoil your, your tidbits on Google Play. Okay, I'll, I'll make them pretty quick. Uh, Google Play, at least in the past, has used a spreadsheet to do uh, the schedule start and stop of promos. And even if that's not the case anymore, um, Google Play, I've always been impressed by how instantaneous price changes are. So that's just something to keep in mind. It's, it's a lot more precise and a lot faster uh, to do your price promos on Google Play than a lot of other places. So you can feel safer about fiddling with that stuff. And they've recently revised their back end the, the pricing structure of the back end is way easier to do international prices differently, which leads into my second uh, section, which is a, re a relatively recent change has uh, taken a little bit of the edge off of wholesale pricing. If you have been on Google Play, then you are aware that it's kind of, it has been kind of hard to price your books on Google Play because they do wholesale pricing, which means they can discount up to like 52%. 
uh, as opposed to agency pricing where they sell for exactly what you what you charge, which meant that you had to price your books basically double on Google Play in order to avoid having Amazon price match down to whatever Google Play decided to sell your book for. That is no longer the case on certain storefronts. I think it's uh, I think it's US, UK and Australia uh, are the three where they will now charge what you say. However, be careful because there's also value-added tax, which is either added on before or after. And you have to be aware of that because if you're doing a price promo on BookBub and you don't have the value-added tax thing figured correctly, it won't be the price they said it was. So you still have to keep your eyes on that stuff, but it's no longer price matchy. Uh, it's no longer going to be an Amazon threat for a certain uh, international Google Play stores if you set your price to exactly what it is everywhere else. Have you played around with the promos on there? Because I think I ranted to you. Like I had, I had a BookBub, I think earlier this year it was, and um, so I decided to actually do their price promo thing rather than going in and changing the price in the bookstore. And it did something. I can't remember if it took the book off sale or it it just didn't end the promo. I feel it was. I feel like it was something more drastic than it didn't end the promo. I can't remember exactly, but um, you know, right now if you do it, I would definitely make a note to yourself go check everything after it's supposed to come off the promo. Hopefully that was just some weird fluke uh, that un- unluckily happened to me, but um, I'm a little wary of doing the promotions yet through their system. I I think I, I did it twice. Both times it worked okay, but it was a little nerve-wracking because you're sort of like putting your trust into a machine that you're not sure if you had a typo in your spreadsheet. So uh, I have since mostly done all of my price changes manually and, and, and then manually checked that they went through because I am an Android user. And it's very easy for me to do so. All right. And um, yeah, the pricing now seems to be normal. Like as far as you used to have to go like, I'm going to sell it for $2 more on Google play in anticipation that they're going to drop it $2 or, or something. And you'd end up with weird prices, but um, definitely worth playing with. I think I made 6,000 there last month and I like, uh, I didn't do a whole lot. I released a uh, new book. So that of course helps, but uh, it's been a good store for me considering I can't navigate it very well. <laughs> you know, actually the back end they're doing a lot of improvements though. And I think they're continuing and they, they care. So that's excellent. I think in the past it was sort of, um, you weren't sure if anybody was working the help desk or anything in there. And, uh, it, it's good that they're starting to come to the conferences and stuff too now. So good to get in there and let's talk a little bit about Kobo next. Um, so something, again, I'm kind of leaning on, uh, Ricardo's emails and I've got some, a link to, uh, he's actually quoting a course that Mark Lefebvre put together for Reedsy, Kobo Hacks for Optimizing Sales. And again, I'll put the link in the show notes. It's a free course if you want to take it. But um, he just says, saying, remember that the U.S. is not their biggest market by far. So don't like target Kobo in the U.S. if you're running some Facebook ads. Um, some of the data is that the breakdown is 50.68% Canadian sales. 11% United Kingdom sales, 10.7% Australia, 9% United States. So they've got a few Kobo people. Um, 4% France, 3% New Zealand, 2.99% rest of the world. So that's, you can actually go if you want to be really granular and run sales to so like New Zealand Kobo, that's totally an option. And you'll probably be the only one advertising for it. So like I said, it doesn't matter where the money comes from. And you never know, it takes a lot less to get into some ranking sales ranking and charts in some of the smaller countries that um people are not targeting so much with ads 
Um, Ricardo also says that when running Facebook ads for authors recently, I found that ads pointing to Kobo's Canadian store, targeting a Canadian audience, converted a lot better than U.S. ads pointing to their Walmart store. And um, I guess we, we didn't mention that, but Kobo distributes to a lot of places too, including like FNAC in France and, and a few other ones and Walmart in the U.S. I have not yet heard of anybody like really killing it with Walmart sales with ebooks. Uh, maybe someday. Um, but, the, you know, as we mentioned earlier too, Kobo is really looking to promote audio right now. They just had a KWL podcast on marketing your books on a global scale. I'll put the link to that too. I think it was episode 200 and quite a bit of good information in that show. Do you guys have any thoughts on Kobo? Um, I, I will, I will again sort of double down on, they do much better internationally than a lot of other stores. And if you are the kind of person who has topics that inter, uh, that appeal internationally, then you're probably going to have a lot of luck focusing on Kobo for those. Uh, I will also say that Kobo for a long time, they were very fond of doing book and I'm sure they still do. Uh, uh, b- book promotions that are within specific price ranges. Like it wasn't just, you know, a free book, so they're going to promo it or a 99 cent book. They'd have books that cost less than four ninety nine and books that cost less than two ninety nine, And they would often slice those up into subgenres. So it, because of the granularity of those promos, it was a lot easier to get into them because there were just fewer people who met any specific uh, uh, criteria. So yeah, that's where, that's where I would land on Copa with my uh, advice. Yeah, and something that my husband always likes to say, and and we, this has already been mentioned, it doesn't matter where the money comes from. I mean, people get so fixated on, but I want to be selling in the U.S. so I can get American dollars. You know, it gets transferred or whatever the same to your bank account. So who cares if you're getting a lot of money in Canada instead of the U.S.? You know, I mean, readers are readers, and readers are readers are readers are readers. Money is money is money is money. Anyway, but Kobo is my favorite place. Um, they're very they're, I don't know, they're so reader or author centric and they're so, they're a smaller company. I mean, they're owned by a huge company, but they are a small company. And so books are their whole purpose. It's not like Amazon where it's a side purpose. purpose. And even sometimes Barnes and Noble feels like they don't really care about readers or authors, but, um, Kobo, like they're open to you reaching out to them and, and in contacting them directly. And they almost always respond. I mean, um, when I was, working with them regularly before I put most of my books in Kindle Unlimited. Um, uh, they, they're, what are they called? They're, they're the people that organize the promotions. It wasn't technically a merchandiser, but she um, actually transferred to a different position. And then the new person took on it. It took the new person a few weeks to get caught up, but they're, they're always very receptive and open to being reached out to because people focus so much on Amazon and their, their whole goal is just to make readers and authors happy. And so I just love Kobo. I mean, I absolutely love Kobo. All right. We'll be getting Kobo as a sponsor next, next month on the show notes. <laughs> Just kidding. But I agree that they've been very, they were kind of the first ones when Mark Lefebvre worked there to start reaching out to indies. I feel like um, you can, you'll get reached out to at Amazon if you sell huge piles of books too. But, you know, Kobo didn't seem to need, you didn't need to sell as big a piles <laughs> to uh, get on their radar. And they, they all, because they do the podcast too, and they also go to a lot of the conferences, they, they're very, aware of the authors who are publishing in the Indie Sphere and on their platform. All right, let's move on to some tips from Apple. 
Um, Apple has rebranded itself to make it friendlier for authors. You no longer need a Mac. You can now use their online browser-based portal in combination with iTunes Connect, which is now also browser-based. I haven't checked it out yet because I do have a Mac, so I did download all the stuff to do the things, but I, I did find it kind of a hassle. And I actually put my last series uh, through draft to digital to go into Apple because I'm curious if I can maybe, as we were talking about, get some promo opportunities more. And I, I feel like it's a little bit, I'm all split up. I have stuff through Smashwords to Apple. I have stuff direct with Apple. And, and maybe one of the reasons I haven't gotten as much love from them is they, I'm like three different entities there. So they don't know, I actually make thousands of dollars a month from them. It's just because it's all broken up. But um, I, it's a store I'd like to make more headroad with. So um, I'll be kind of paying attention to stuff here. Um, but they also have a help page now for authors at authors.apple.com. And on it, it says they give 70% to all titles, regardless of price. And like we talked about before, there are no third-party ads. So if you advertise on your own and send them to your page, they're not going to be distracted by somebody else's book for sale on your book page. Also, no limitation on free books. And they say there's no file delivery fees. So if you have you know illustrations or something and have larger books, that's something to be aware of on the other stores. Some of the features are that Apple Books has a tolerance for higher prices among their readers. Uh, I've heard people give the advice that you can charge more on Apple than the other stores, and I don't think I would personally feel bad like tr charging different prices depending on where people are. I try to be really fair. Um, but this is another opportunity for the giant box set that you sell for 20 or $30. It's your complete series. And, you know, that's a nice chunk of money when you get a sale on that. And it's, you know, sounds like people are willing to do it there. I haven't gotten my um, statements yet from Apple or reports to see how my 999 box set was doing there. That was definitely what gave me a boost on Google play last month. But, um, they also say that, um, this is Ricardo saying this, they give a huge advantage to pre-order sales in the store. So this is maybe a good one where it's, when we talked about the pre-orders, if you can get them up way early, you know, you have a chance for sales to be trickling in, especially if you have some readership there. So you're actually going to be getting sales consistently. seems to give you a pretty good boost on release if you had a lot of pre-orders. And what's still effective here, and probably where most of my sales come from, since I haven't done a whole lot of promoting individually on Apple, is just having the free first in series. Do you guys want to talk about or discuss any of that? I have some more stuff to <laughs> cover on Apple, but I'll pause if you have any thoughts there. No thoughts. I don't have thoughts. <laughs> I, I will say that I don't have, we can just skip me when it comes to iTunes. You don't even have to ask me because I have zero experience with them. <laughs> All right. No thoughts. Joe's the one that rocks it on Apple. Though. I don't know. All right. So but let me continue on. Uh, also another store that does human curation. So you need to be selected by their merchandising team uh, rather than trying to figure out how to work any algorithms. Um, as I mentioned, I'm in audiobook promotion right now. It's just started. So I'm not sure if it's going to result in a whole bunch of sales or not. Um, I, I'll definitely be watching that. This is, I think the first one, maybe the second I've gotten to find a way voices uh, on a book one and I've got three more books, three more audiobooks in that series. So I will see what the sell through is like on those. Um, Apple search mechanics. Ricardo found that keywords in the titled slash description did help books come up, but sales, you know, unlike Google play, we mentioned sales and downloads might not matter as much. He said sales and downloads did seem to figure in with Apple. So you need to have the keywords. If you know, if it makes sense in the title and description and also have good sales, 
uh, they don't have a sales ranking, so he's kind of guessing on sales based on like number of reviews there. Um, but unlike in some other stores, price didn't really seem to figure in. A lot of free results came up when he was doing searches, so that may be why Perma Free Book One's still do well on Apple. He actually had in, in his search uh, Dragon Fantasy, and I was like, hey, there's my Dragon Blood series, <laughs> and it came up, and it was free at the time, I think, and uh, so there's proof, <laughs> you know, that free books will come up in searches uh, if you've got some keywords in there, and in, in that case, I didn't have Dragon Fantasy in the book title. It was just Dragon Blood, but it was in the fantasy category, so there, they were able to figure out their search that... Um, that was a dragon fantasy book and he's got a couple articles on his uh, site how to publish and sell on apple books in 2020 and then again a couple of emails and i'll as i said link to those in the show notes all right joe any final thoughts on apple before we wrap or we actually have some listener questions to answer to um just a couple yeah like like we talk about individual curation again. I mentioned it earlier, but I was like, "There's a book of the month," and that was I didn't even pursue it. It was just somebody with an Apple liked the steampunk genre and read my book, and they thought it was good enough to to give a, a heads up. So there are people making these decisions, and uh, the specific uh, like, I haven't done one since maybe last year. Well, certainly not. Might have, might have been the previous year, but uh, Apple has some promotional activities uh, options that are, as far as I can tell, unique. Because uh, when you actually get a promo at them, it gets it gets it's noticeable. Um, what I did with uh, uh, the, my most recent um, steampunk release was I told them, "Hey, listen, this is coming out. You chose the first book in this series as an editorial book of the month a while ago." Um, what can we do? And they said, well, if you give it to us two weeks early, then we'll give you a carousel ad. And basically at, at the top of iBooks, they have uh, a rotating thing of like just notable books. And they gave me a big old banner that like would center right up there. And it was there for the full two weeks that, that I had it uh, released early on theirs. They also have ad, uh, promos where if you have your book up for pre-order and it has got the full finished text available, then they'll have a promo where they make the sneak peek available for people. And uh, so you get some promo love just from having a finished book that's on pre-order. There's all sorts of stuff like that. And also, Ed, um, Apple are sticklers for their brand being represented correctly. So if you are going to be working with Apple, they're going to probably give you, I mean, if it's a real deal, again, when I was the, the book of the month, they gave me like a media pack and like, here's what logo to use. Here's the specific terms that you want to use. Here's the position on the cover that you want to put it when you advertise. It needs to be this far from this margin, this far from this margin. Like you score major brownie points with them if you follow their branding correctly. So that's the thing to keep in mind, I guess, overall, but certainly with Apple, uh, they like it when you follow their rules. Even though they occasionally change the name of their store. <laughs> I, I don't know exactly what they call their store right now. <laughs> I get, well, I got also, um, I didn't get anything that extensive, but for the audiobook promo, I got like, here's three links for this, you know, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And it was the same. And at, at Apple Books was what they were take, wanting it to be tagged as. And they gave me the link and I, I did it. But the link went to the promo in, in general. And, you know, so I did it once everywhere. And any subsequent links, I do will go to my, my book in the, that's in sale in the Apple store. But I will still happily say Apple Books, you know. Um, so that seems to be what it is right now. All right. Uh, so um, Ricardo hadn't done one for Barnes & Noble yet at the time we're recording this. So I don't have any good notes on them. I will just say that I have found that the free books 
do continue to be downloaded there for me, the book ones. Uh, and, you know, occasionally I have a box set that's free and it's just, you know, it's easy to see them in the reports, how many free you're getting downloaded and whether I'm doing promos or not, I consistently get free downloads and it, it seems to keep the sales from, you know, I'll get, of course, a big boost when I put out new books, but it's, you know, I, I don't really fall off too far on Barnes and Noble. So it, it seems like when you do do promos, um, I don't know, it just seems to stick for maybe a little while longer than Amazon. I don't think they have that, like, you know, you don't get necessarily pushed down as quickly after a big uh, boost in sales. So maybe there's a little bit more of a long tail there. H have you guys, I don't know if you've run any Barnes and Noble stuff. Have you found that to be true? It's been a while since I had like a, a big hit that included Barnes and Noble. I have noticed that Barnes and Noble, uh, yeah, like the long tail is longer, but I also noticed, at least in my case, that, getting noticed has been harder recently like overall barnes and noble has slipped significantly uh for me as, a, as an earner and apple and google play have sort of eclipsed it i would agree with that you know in fact when i was mostly wide um barnes and noble it used to be my number two and then it just slowly slowly Kobo took over and then itunes took over and then and i couldn't get into my account half the time i don't know what happened there and then they kept changing things around and you know, it just, it was not fun. I, I wish they would, they would do something about it all though. I think, I feel like they are, I will say, cause I got reached out to the first time a couple years ago from Barnes and Noble. And this may be like, I put my email on an address, uh, like RWA, they had a list, they were there and they had like, sign up if you want to be invited to promos. And I did that like five years ago. Um, and so I've actually gotten, you know, I have an email, a person I can email there and they sent me a Christmas card with money to spend in the nook store. <laughs> I don't have a nook, so <laughs> I have to get physical books. Um, but so they're there. Um, I think they are, you know, they have people trying to work on things. Uh, they have, you know, despite predictions of their demise, they have not demised yet. That's possibly not a word. Um, but so I wouldn't give up on them necessarily. And I do find, like I said, that the free book ones are still working there, especially if you can get some promos and get some decent numbers of downloads for those free books. All right, I think that is all we have on that topic. We have three listener questions to wrap up the show. Look at this, the show has gone for an hour. How shocking that we never managed to uh, <laughs> go under an hour. Um, so Joe, I think, did you want to read this one? It's in red text, so I think it's for you. <laughs> sure. Uh, this is from, I'm going to say, Vanya. Uh, this is more of a craft question, but with all of you being so prolific, I wonder how you keep your plots and tropes fresh and if you think about writing to market when you plan a new project or do you just write what you want or a little of both thanks uh, and i'll say that uh of the things about writing longer series one of the things is that you're almost required to keep it fresh because if you're doing it right you're carrying your characters along and they're growing and changing and therefore even if you put them in the same situations they're going to react differently uh, it gets a little bit trickier because you're dragging around all of that canon but uh, generally speaking, if your characters are changing, then their experiences are going to be fresh. Uh, and, but also it helps if you just have a lot of inspiration coming in. I don't read nearly as much as I should, but I still regularly consume movies, TV, music, video games, anything to fill my head with fresh stuff. And the, seldom do I encounter any form of, uh, of media that doesn't give me some sort of an idea. Either I really like the way they did that, maybe I can do a version of that, or I really don't like the way they did that. I'm going to do that correctly when I do it. Both of them work just fine. 
Uh, and I've, I've thought about writing to market and I've tried to write to market a little bit in the past. I failed to hit the target both times. Uh, once it was successful, even though it was a, w- a weak match for the market, uh, my steampunk is by many not considered to be steampunk because it misses a couple of very crucial tropes. Like, uh, it's not in Victorian England. Uh, it's a secondary world thing, but it was successful. It's still, pr- I, I, there have been times when it was my number one earner. On the other hand, I tried the urban fantasy, which I thought I was writing to market, and I didn't write it to market, and it didn't succeed. So uh, I've, I've been on both sides of it. And, and your pizza dragon was written to market, right? Hey, I definitely captured the entire pizza dragon market. <laughs> awesome. Um, okay, so um, as for me, um, the last bit of that was, do you, you know, if you think about writing to market when you plan a new project, you just write what you want or a little of both. For me, it's a little of both. Um, I try to stay as close to tropes as possible, but I always follow my muse and what excites me. Um, and I think that's going to be the case for pretty much all authors. Some authors are just really lucky that what the excites them is exactly what excites readers, but that's not usually the case for me. Um, all of my stories have a creepy Lovecraftian twist that usually takes readers off guard. Um, this can be good and bad. Uh, good because those who are okay with it um, they like that different and, and it makes them read pretty much everything I write because I kind of tie that throughout all of my books, but it's also bad because some readers only want what they ex- are expecting. And if you don't deliver, then it's disappointing to them. But, um, uh, the good thing about the way I do it is my readers are very passionate and I have been successful. And so that's not, it's not a huge deal for me. Um, as to keeping things fresh. Um, so, like I was saying about Lovecraft, um, I absolutely love H.P. Lovecraft's books and and stuff by his contemporary contemporaries like Archanon. Oh, what's his last name? Uh, geez, I can't remember right now. But um, M.R. James is another one. Uh, so their plot lines and their storylines they're just really really fresh, and um, I make sure that readers know that I'm borrowing from them. And so, like I'll say, you know the you know this story's based on a or this book is based on a story by Lovecraft and how it works is Lovecraft and MR James they'll introduce these really really cool ideas and scenes and these and these thoughts and, pro- and all of these situations and everything and they don't flesh it out and they don't show where it goes and they don't give a resolution they just introduce this idea like hey wouldn't this be cool if this happened but then they don't do anything with it and so I take those and I totally adopt them and make them mine and fully flesh them out and of course I give credit um, but so my suggestion and the reason I do this is because their stories are all in the public domain and there is so, so much amazing material in the public domain that's written by these early like horror writers or early romance writers. And, um, the horror back then was very psychological. It wasn't super gory, but it was very complex thought wise. And so you can get so much good ideas, so many good ideas from that. So that's my suggestion. Just read old stuff, things in the public domain, especially for ideas. I mean, go and read all of the, you know, Robinson Crusoe and things like that, you know, all of those old stories that we loved as kids. Um, and, and, um, if you're, you can do that, you can reach and read them. You can watch and then watching old movies and things like that. And documentaries, just basically refilling your well and introducing yourself to ideas and concepts that aren't common around us. Like HP Lovecraft, people know who he is, but people don't generally read him anymore, except a very specific subset. But if you read and, and if you decide to read them, skip the first couple of paragraphs because they're usually about 30,000 words long, just the paragraphs themselves. And they're just very dense. Um, what I'll usually do is I'll actually read the synopsis on Wikipedia first, and then I'll read the story if it interests me. But um, yeah, so watch old movies, watch documentaries, read old stuff, and 
it, if you're constantly refilling your well, then you're not going to be, you're not going to feel like things aren't fresh. And I don't know, like I've got so many ideas for books and I know once you start writing, the ideas just don't stop coming. And I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty sure Lindsay and Joe feel the same way. They probably have tons more ideas of books and series to write. And those ideas are fresh when they start on them. And so I think that if, if you're doing things, if you're not burning out on writing and on life in general, then things are just going to stay fresh to you. We should remind folks that we are not the how to write to market people. Because I was going to say, if you want to write to market, you should probably just be reading the stuff that's selling right now in your genre. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of the same way. Um, to some extent, genre hopping helps me because you're not going to, you're going to tell different types of stories depending on the genre to some extent. But I fully admit to having a horrible memory and I've accidentally copied myself before. I've had, I had a, my Dragon Blood series book four. They were like coming up on this tentacle monster and my readers were like, you did a tentacle monster in the Emperor. Edge, or you can do another Kraken kind of thing. I was like, fine, it's going to be a sentient plant now with armed tentacle things, but um, horrible memory. So I can accidentally copy myself for sure. But um, as far as being inspired for fresh plot ideas, um, I listen to a lot of nonfiction podcasts, interviews, uh, nonfiction books. I, I find that if you want to be a little bit different, <laughs> not necessarily to market, um, but fresher, it, it's great to bring in like your outside interests. Uh, I've brought like real estate into fantasy and science fiction. So, you know, why wouldn't you have a princess who's a real estate developer? I mean, on a space station, it just makes sense. Um, so that's, a, you know, I feel like nonfiction, just and history too, is super inspiring and will give you ideas. Um, it is a little, if you, I actually don't read very much within the genre that I'm writing in while I'm writing it. Sometimes when I'm writing the sci-fi, I'll read fantasy. When I'm writing fantasy, I'll read sci-fi. But, um, you know, it, it, I don't know that it, you're going to necessarily copy other people, but it, it's hard to come up with new ideas if you're just kind of exposing yourself to the same types of stories all the time. Um, but I, as far as like repeating your own favorite things too, to some extent, um, realize that they probably are things, you know, like tropes and stuff. They, you do them because they excite you. Um, and it's probably okay. Like one of my common tropes is kind of having a romance that develops over the course of the series. I guess you'd call it enemies to lovers. If you were <laughs> doing a specific romance novel, my guys, it takes seven books, but, um, and I find that when I don't do that, I'm kind of less excited about the stories when there's not kind of a core romance at the middle and they seem to creep in anyway, even if I have no intention of having them at the beginning but when you, you know, if I stray off to something different, super different from that, I find I'm kind of less excited. And I've actually had that experience as a reader when I like really like a series by an author and then I try something else by the author and it's too different and I just really can't get into it. So that's something to keep in mind too. If you've developed a readership that expects certain things and that's what they really love, if you go too far uh, away from that, you may find that um, they won't follow you as readily and that series might do not do as well. So, it, you know, it's okay, of course, to do other things, but if you have some certain tropes like the romance or something that um, people really enjoy, you might not want to ditch it just because you feel like, I've done too many romances in my author career. Um, as far as writing a market, I, as I said, I, I can't do it. I'm very bad at it. When The more I try to do something more commercial, the less well it does with my readers and in sales. So I've just kind of given up on that, you know? So I, I do keep in mind, like I will pick something that seems more commercial. Like if I have two equally equal ideas that I'm equally excited about. And one I know in the past, like I've done better with epic fantasy than I have urban fantasy or space opera, you know, and I'm equally excited. I might pick the more commercial thing, but mostly I'm just trying to figure out how to market after I've written the story. 
And I'm done. Go ahead, Andrea, and read the next one. Okay, Scott says, if you have a standalone novel in your backlist, do you still or occasionally run ads directing traffic to it, or does it just get what it can from the halo effect of your readers seeking out your other works? Similarly, are there books or series in your backlist you don't feel warrant ad spend or other regular promotion? Is it a case of only pushing your best earning series? Um, okay, so my answer to that is yes to the last question. Um, occasionally I'll send an ad or a promotion to something that doesn't sell well, but there's usually a reason it doesn't sell well. So it's like it's in a sad or a tired, tired market, you know, a market that just doesn't do very well anymore, or I miss the tropes like 100%, or it's a standalone where a series would have sold better and vice versa. Um, and this is something that I tell, you know, I tell my clients, tell other authors, it's noble to try to get things to sell well that don't. But when it comes down to it, money spends easier on things that sell well. I mean, that kind of sounds like chicken before the egg or whatever, but if it's going to sell easily and sell well, then it's just better to spend the money on something that you're going to get a better ROI on. Yeah, because it just goes farther. I generally ignore my backlist that historically hasn't sold well. I make them really well priced, you know, free or 99 cents if I can. I usually like right now they're all free, they're all 99 cents. Um and then I make sure that they're at least listed somewhere on all of my I mean on my website or maybe in an email somewhere just so that readers can find them because I do have readers the ones that will read every single thing I read, they will I write, they'll go and download even the little random things out there that, you know, has only sold like 10 copies, you know, um, it's just not worth the time and the effort to get them to sell. And so I, like I said, I usually ignore the stuff that just doesn't sell very well because it's not, it's just not a good ROI. It's that whole 80, 20 rule, you know, don't do 80% of your time on stuff that only sells 20%. As for me, I've been really bad about effectively marketing my backlist, and I have got a pretty substantial backlist at this point. Uh, that said, I still promo some of my older stuff on occasion. Uh, obviously, book one of my three main series will get a lot of uh, promotion, but also for if, if I can work on them, I'll often uh, uh, try a new promo, like a new promo method on one of my standalones. Like if, if I've never run a BookBub ad before, the first BookBub ad I ever ran was on the Pizza Dragon story because... It has no, uh, you know, no history, and I don't. So it, it's just, it's safe. If I really screw it up, it's not going to hurt anything. Uh, and heck, if I succeed, then I get some sales. So I'll do that a lot. Um, generally speaking, though, I, I hit my my best sellers most often. And uh, I will also say that um, if you have got a long enough career and have been selling books long enough, you will you will get emails from the people who really really love your standalones. And sometimes it's useful just to mention that. <laughs> like, you know, oh, I, I got an email from somebody who was really happy that I wrote that uh, that Pizza Dragon story. Let me mention that again. And then, whoa, some people bought the Pizza Dragon story because they didn't know you wrote it. So every now and then just mention some of your backlist because it's it if it sold any any books at all, it's probably got some fans. I'll just be happy to hear that you mentioned it. I, of course, promote the um, book ones in the long series uh, often because that makes sense. There's a lot of books for people to buy. I do not spend money advertising like standalones. I've got a few things out there that um, don't really tie into a series at all. They're just kind of hanging out there. Um, so it's the way that, you know, advertising just costs so much right now that it's 
not really worth it unless it's going to lead into something else. I mean, I think I was going to do one for, I've got like Cyborg Legacy, which is this middle book after my Fallen Empire series. And I applied to get a, I was going to apply for a book club and it was like 700 and some dollars for a sci-fi 99 center. And I was just like, "Mm, this doesn't lead into anything. Um, I, maybe I'll make the money back, but I'm not sure. So I decided not to do it on that one. But I, what I will do is I'll run occasionally run price drops and just promote it to my own list. Be like, Hey, here's a fractured stars. It's standing by itself doing nothing, you know, but there's a free novella to go with it. So check that out. Um, the only exceptions that I have a couple early things. I have my uh, Goblin Brothers middle grade short stories. I never mentioned that. I think they sell about 10 copies a month at 99 cents. Um, it's just so far, if you know, from what I'm doing, same, I've got a contemporary. It was supposed to be a romance. It's kind of a mystery romance thing. You know, obviously I had no idea about the market uh, or how to recover for that book. Um, and I, I don't think I ever mentioned that one. It's just not even, it's not even in my fantasy uh, sci-fi umbrella. So, um, but standalone books that are sci-fi and fantasy, yeah, I'll do mention them, drop the price and, you know, let people know about them. Like Joe said, uh, it, once you get a pretty big backlist, it can be hard unless somebody's an obsessive fan, not obsessive in a bad way, but like a really dedicated fan that's looking all the way through your list of novels to make sure they didn't miss anything. You know, a lot of people that just jumped on board for a series might not necessarily know about that one, but they might like it. And it doesn't cost anything to mention it to your email list. So why not do so? All right, last question coming up here from Andy. A craft question, if you're taking those. Certainly we will. I'm new to series writing. First book is finished and second is outlined. My question is, are there any rules of thumb regarding what needs to be retold or reestablished from book to book? I'm struggling with how deep to go. For instance, should you write your second book with enough info to be easily read by people who have not read the first? Okay, so I don't ever cater to people who haven't read the first book, but that's because of the style of series I write. They're they're not possible to read out of order. And I know there there are some series out there that have like an overarching um, thought or feeling or whatever that, that develops through the whole series. So like Mercy Thompson, for example, you can read her books out of order, but there are overarching ideas that start in the beginning and go all the way throughout the whole series. And my books are not like that. My books are going to be, I mean, my books are, if you start with book three, you're going to be very confused. I'll do a very, very, very brief, um, overview of what happened. Um, but you're just, you're basically going to be lost. Um, and one thing to note is that um, so other, like some books can be read out of order in other people's series. Um, those need to be treated like a brand new book. If that's, if that is your series or your book, um, traditionally published books usually cater each book to a new readers. And like, for example, Harry Potter, how many of you guys were so sick of reading about the boy who lived under the cupboard and had a lightning shaped scar on his forehead? Every single book introduced him over. And I was like, dude, we know who Harry Potter is. Okay. You got, you don't even have to, you don't have to introduce him all the time. Um, and they did that all the way until like book six or something. I mean, it just went on forever and everybody knew who Harry, knew who Harry Potter was. Anyway, um, what I generally do is I see things throughout the first couple of chapters, gentle reminders of plots in the previous books and who the characters are. I never reintroduce the main character, just the side ones. Um, and I have gotten better at this in earlier series. I almost never told who someone was or what their role was in previous books because it drove me nuts when authors did that because I, as a remember, as a reader, I would remember what those, who those characters were. But I had, I mean, I've had readers that be like, Hey, now who's this person again? And so I'm like, ugh, you're right. I need to be doing that. And just gentle reminders. And it, 
you don't want it to be a whole lot because it takes away from the pace of the later books in the series. And later books in the series shouldn't have as much setup as the first book does. And um, anyway, so yeah, it's not the best idea to just expect readers to remember. Um, even devoted readers like a reminder. Even if even if they remember, it still gives them a little bit of a warm fuzzy to get a reminder of you know earlier plots or earlier characters. Anyway. Um, on this, I've gone, I've gone both light and heavy with it, reestablishing info. A couple of my books were released as serials. And so they were, you were expected to have been reading along, but also you were expected to have literally gone an entire month since the last chapter. So I would often reestablish, uh, like, here's what we're going to be talking about in this one. Just so you'd remember where the heck I was talking about. And when those got converted over into actual novel releases with those, Re- reminder is still intact it was pretty glaring and it felt weird uh, uh so often i will only reintroduce basically uh i will reintroduce a setting uh, with a paragraph sometimes the first time it comes up again after a while uh and any other thing the first time i mentioned them there might be one sentence to just gently reassess and it's not like i'm not going to fully redescribe a character we don't need to know exactly how tall this person is or what color their hair is just sort of uh, like literally if it's a fantasy story you might just put that character's title and it will tell you enough of what they were doing before maybe throw a line of dialogue to reference the last time they showed up just as another character hey where have you like weren't you in such and such a place before it's you can do it in a very natural and easy way, but yeah, I agree. You shouldn't be re you shouldn't be putting enough information in a book that it makes the previous book unnecessary because most of the people reading your your later books will have read your earlier books and it will annoy them. And if they are reading this book first, it's going to basically remove the need for them to read the earlier book or at least ruin the earlier book for them. Like uh, all things considered, I don't think there's a lot of upsides to to doing a really heavy reintroduction of plot points. We should point out, too, that um, if you grew up reading books like this, it was super common back in the days before internet bookstores when you would walk into a bookstore and book four would be the only thing on the shelf from the series. And the publishers knew that, that it wasn't always the whole series was available. And unless you were going to special order and wait three weeks for the book to come in from Walden Books or whatever you shopped at, um, you probably would just have to start the series with what was there if you were interested. So that's why you used to see a lot more of that, where they kind of had to sum up what happened in the previous books. They had to kind of assume that possibly the reader wasn't able to get the earlier books same thing with television you know remember the original star trek they never even alluded to stuff that happened in previous episodes most of the time because there were no vcrs back then it's just you either saw it or you didn't um so we're past that now we got somebody's going to read your series they're going to have all the ebooks on their device so if they forget something they can flip back and look and search for that character's name in the previous book so that's kind of what i assume that people will do and so i very i do do very lightly especially if it's a complicated series uh like for me my star kingdom series that i'm about to finish up is pretty involved it's very much one story arc one big arc from book one to book eight so i will remind them like oh yes this valorian moon the ai plant the moon that is ruled by the AIs that I haven't mentioned since book three. Like I need to mention that at the beginning of book eight, because it's going to be a plot point in this one. So uh, a little bit here and there is definitely good to help jog the reader's memory, but you shouldn't assume that they didn't read the earlier books and they have no clue. Cause they, that's on them. If they didn't read the earlier books, they're all available. Everything's online now. So that is just how it is in this world. All right, guys, we've been talking for a long time. Should we wrap it up? 
I think we so. can keep going. I've got tons of energy. <laughs> no, it's time for lunch or something. I don't know. All right. Um, thank you everyone for listening. Hopefully this show was helpful for you. And thank you to Joshua Pearson for producing it. You can find the show notes and I, I do have, we'll have a lot of links in this one to all the articles I mentioned, uh, or leave a comment or question at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six. And uh, just a reminder, we do have the Facebook group also with, uh, if you search for six figure authors, you'll, it'll come up and you have to answer the question about the beard. Uh, to get into the group and uh, we will be happy to have you and you can ask questions there or just um, hang out all right thanks everyone (laughs) bye-bye bye so long everybody